We are thankful this morning we've had a variety of groups within our church leading us through the gifts of music. This morning you saw our first and third grade, first through third grade collide choir led by Haley Pepper and Tracy Henrahan who led us so beautifully at our 825 service. We had our chapel choir lead us. In our last two services, we've had our master ringers. So Dawson, you recognize you are blessed with a diversity of gifts and talents. And our sanctuary choir has led us last service and then is back with us. And so we are so grateful for the commitment of those that are here and all of the preparation that goes into leading us into the throne of grace musically through worship. If you would take your copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 8. And as you look for Colossians chapter 8, you'll notice there's not a Colossians chapter 8. So, but you might want to turn to Colossians chapter 2 verse 8, and that you will find in your copy of God's Word. Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 through verse 23. In Mississippi, about five miles away from my home, Just a quick drive, there was an oasis of trails, bike trails primarily, that I could go at any time of the day and and ultimately run, and it was an oasis to be able to think and to pray and to be able to run. Oftentimes, you have the shade of the trees that were coming around those trails. The trails were cut out largely by volunteers, uh, people that are men and women that are bike riders that wanted a place in the Jackson metro area to run and to ride a bike. Now, when you're riding your bikes and you're running out there, you'll see these little warning signs that come up. It would say, warning, sharp turn ahead. It would say, warning, steep grade going down here. So there were warning signs all throughout the trails to be able to warn you of what could be obstacles before you. could warn you that if you're going too fast around this curve, you could end up over your handlebars. If you're going too fast down this steep grade here, it could be detrimental to your health. Now, it was never an issue for me as a runner. I assure you, I did not have that kind of speed, no momentum coming around those uh, turns there. But there, there were horror stories of individuals that did not heed the signs and ended up over their handlebars. And it's important for us to know as we're looking at Colossians chapter 2 in this series entitled Christ the Center, there are some warnings that Paul wants us to hear that are implicit to his word to that first century church. And we would not only have physical danger, but even more importantly, spiritual danger in the front of us if we did not heed those words and warnings that Paul would give to that first century church. Listen for the warning signs, starting in Colossians 2 verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This 
he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Then verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in the questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, for whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Parenthetically, verse 22, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to the human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. There are four warning signs that Paul gives us in this lengthy treatment in Colossians chapter 2 that we would be mindful to heed as we are traveling down the trail of the Christian life. Lest we come too fast around a curve and not notice this uh, warning sign. Lest we come too fast down a a sharp uh, decline and miss these warning signs here. There are four of them. And the first is a warning against false philosophy. Notice again in verse 8 and verse 9. This false philosophy here, that word philosophy is a word that is only used one time in the New Testament right here in Colossians chapter 2. It's not a word that is really intended to encompass what you would take at Sanford's Philosophy 101 class or at UAB, Birmingham Southern's Philosophy class. That's not what it is. It's more encompassing. It's a false religions, any false religion that would come your way. Now, what Paul says in this passage is don't be taken by that kind of philosophy and empty deceit. Don't be taken captive. In the original language of the New Testament, that that phrase taken captive was a word that was used outside of the New Testament to talk about conquering armies that came into a community or came into a city and ultimately took captive, took and enslaved those, those conquered citizens back and used them as POWs, used them as leverage. Now notice what Paul is saying here, Dawson. He he is not saying this is just about what you believe intellectually. Paul is saying that there are spiritual implications, there are physical implications that he is warning with, with grave words here to heed the empty deceit and the false philosophy. Notice the source of it. In verse 8 it says the source is human tradition. In Paul's day, ancient is valued. In Paul's day, to have thousands of years behind you would have been uh, something that was very appealing to those individuals there. In our culture, new is novel. In our culture, the latest becomes a fad. But in their culture, what had depth was something that was rooted. And so Paul is saying this false philosophy has been passed down. It's rooted in teachings that are not just novel, but they have been around. They're ancient. Not only does he say that there is the source of false philosophy in human tradition, but he also says in verse 8 that this false philosophy is rooted in the elemental spirits of the world. 
This is a phrase that has been interpreted in a variety of ways. Sometimes it's interpreted as elemental spirits of the world in the sense of air, fire, water. This isn't, I think, the best translation or understanding of this phrase. I think the corollary passage is Ephesians 6, 12. And Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, talks about spirits and the spiritual forces. Notice what he says. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul is warning his first century church that there are false teaching that is rooted in a long-standing ancient human tradition that is inspired by forces that are unseen but are malicious in intent, that ultimately are demonic in origin, that want to lead you astray from the true clarity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the first warning. The second warning is a warning against legalism. Again, in your copy of God's Word, look with me in verses 16 and 17 here. He says, uh, be warned about those that emphasize food and drink. These are uh, the emphasis of what is eating in the Old Testament, eating what is clean or unclean. You recognize in the first books of the Bible, there are many Levitical laws kosher laws that talk about eating this that is clean don't eat this this is unclean drink this this is clean don't drink this this is unclean so there is an exaltation of emphasis upon this is good this is not good he goes on to say there are those that emphasize festivals new moon or sabbath these are the holy days again going back to those jewish roots of this false teaching in the jewish calendar there were annual there were monthly and there were weekly emphases within the people of faith. And so what has happened is these are the substance of things to come. But ultimately, they're the shadow of things to come, and the substance is Christ. And so what has happened in this first century church is, is they've exalted what has been fulfilled in Christ. Another way to think about it is, is when you go to a concert and you, you pay the money to go to see most often the headliner. Now, every headliner who is going to have the main stage is most often going to have an opening act. And the opening act is an up-and-coming artist. She might have one song that you've heard on the radio, and she will sing four songs. She will sing five songs, or he will sing six songs. But the opening set is going to be a shorter set, but ultimately it prepares the way for the headliner, the main event. Now you sit through the concert and the concert ends and everybody stands and they begin to applaud and they're trying to do what? They're trying to persuade the headliner to come back for an encore. What these first century Christians are doing is just they are standing and they are trying to have an encore, not by the main headliner Christ, but they're going back to the opening act of the Old Testament. And they're saying, let's exalt the Old Testament teaching, the rules and the rituals above the relationship with Christ that we only have in faith and through faith in Jesus Christ. And so the opening act is eclipsing the main headliner, Christ Jesus. And Paul says, be warned. Be warned against false philosophy. Be warned against legalism. Be warned, uh, third that we see here is warned against angel worship. Again, in your copy of God's Word, you see this in verse 18 and verse 19. Paul doesn't go into great detail. But what we discover is, is in that first century Christian world, 
there was obviously an emphasis of angelic worship. And while we don't have all of the historical context or historical circumstances around this, we see the anonymous writer to, uh, of Hebrews would spend 10 verses in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14, to remind them that angels are servants of Jesus. That angels do not reserve or deserve worship that only Jesus deserves. And so this first century church here is being warned that Jesus is superior to angels. Do not worship them. There's also a connection to that angelic worship that's connected to dreams and visions. So undoubtedly in that church, there were those that were saying, we worship angels and we are receiving dreams and visions that have promise of importance to the life of the church. And Paul is saying, put the focus on Christ. Now, you can hear this, you can read this, you can Google this, and I can assure you it is out there in 21st century spiritualism and New Age thought. There's a tremendous amount of unhealthy attention to angelic uh, speculation, guardian angels. I heard this vision, I heard this dream, and, and God speaks, and God uses angels. There's no denying that, but they're all under, they're all servants to him. And everything that we hear in that always has to go back to the word and come under the litmus test. Does it contradict God's word? Because even demons parade as angels of light. There are three warnings. The final warning is a warning against asceticism. You see it in verse 20 through verse 23. These false teachers have a list of legalistic practices. And they say, don't handle this. Don't touch this. Don't taste this. And so their religion has become clear guidelines. If you do these things, then you will be right with God. If you don't do these things, then you will be right with God. And what Paul is saying is, is that list of legalistic practices ultimately does not bring one into a right relationship with God or with Christ. And so he is diminishing the role of these false teachers here and he's exalting the role of Christ as the one to look at. Now there are four warnings and we could spend a lot more time upon these warnings. But ultimately we get to the part of what Paul is saying in this passage here. He is saying there are those things that are not true and that will lead one astray. But instead of spending more time speculating about the substance of all of these things, did you notice the antidote to false teaching that Paul presents in this passage? Do you notice what he says in this passage is a preventative measure to soak in and to bathe in that is an antidote to the false teaching that is leading those astray? Well, it's an interlude between the first warning and the second warning in verses 9 through 15, Paul exalts Christ. He, he exalts Christ's divinity in verse 9. He exalts Christ's authority in verse 10. And he goes into this great, uh, powerful moment of, of, of exploring Christ's saving power from verses 11 through verse 15. What he doesn't do is he doesn't pick apart the logical inconsistencies of false teaching. He doesn't try to dismantle the historical foundation of these false teachings. He lifts Christ high. And this becomes the antidote to false teaching here. He says, Christ through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he is exalted now. 
And that through his death, burial, and resurrection, you can be forgiven. And he has canceled the debt by faith and through faith. Notice this image. He is the triumphant king who has disarmed every power and every authority. Notice what Paul is doing. He is saying that the way you detect what is not true is by exalting what is true. You know, in our culture, there are those within governmental agencies that are tasked with spotting out counterfeit currency in our culture. And one of the ways that they are trained is not to become an expert in the myriad of ways that one can, can uh, imitate true currency, but they become experts on what is authentic. And the more they know about what is authentic, then they're able to detect what is inauthentic. I remember when I was 16 years old or so, I'd been a Christian for three years. I began to hear and begin to be exposed to quote-unquote Christian denominations that taught things outside of God's Word, different revelations of Christ, different religions that were outside of Christianity. And that, I was really enamored in this. I wanted to know about this. I wanted to know how I could be prepared if someone knocked on my door, how I could stand strong in the faith and point out all of the historical contradictions of false teaching, all the logical inconsistencies. And I got a big book. It was Walter Martin's The Kingdom of the Cults. I took that to study hall in my junior year. I was reading that and went to my pastor and I said, we got to have, have some classes about this. I need to, I need to have a sharp sword to be able to be ready to defend my faith in this culture where you have all of these different voices vying for attention. I remember he, he told me something that was immensely wise. He said, David, yeah, I mean, there's, there's a place for apologetics. There's a place for knowing what isn't true. But the best advice that I could give you, David, is to drink deeply of Christ Jesus. That the best advice that I could give you is to condition your spiritual taste buds to what Christ tastes like. And then when you drink of something that is inauthentic and when you drink of something that is counterfeit, you know that there is contamination in it because you know what is pure. Because you've, drink, you've drunk deeply of what is actually true. So church, there certainly, without any shadow of a doubt, they're inauthentic voices within our culture that are vying for our attention. And certainly, you could say, I'm going to give myself to be an expert in every false doctrine, every false teaching, but there are so many. What is the best strategy? Well, it is the strategy that that pastor advised to me. It is to drink deeply of Christ Jesus. This is the antidote, the antidote of false teaching. But finally here this morning, I want you to see the reality of false teaching today. Now, for Paul, he didn't give a disclaimer to this. There's no footnotes here. It, this was obvious to Paul, what I'm about to say to you here. But it is important for us to be reminded of this because what, is, uh, what seems to be obvious today within God's Word, our culture has become oblivious to. And so what I want you to see is that Paul, in this passage, is saying there are certain teachings that are not true. That these things that I'm warning you against, these are not correct. And what Paul is saying is, is everything that you passionately believe in 
doesn't then become truth for you. You see, in our culture, tolerance trumps everything. In our culture, relativism rules everything. We had our children here, and there was a popular movie that our boys liked from years, a few years back. It was the Lego movie. And, and the theme song of the Lego movie was everything is awesome. Everything is cool when you're part of a team. Everything is awesome when you're living the dream. It's a very catchy song all throughout the song. You leave that movie watching it, and you just sing it. And we live in a culture that has adopted the theme of that song, everything is awesome. Everything. As long as you passionately believe in it, it is true, it is correct, and who are you to say that I'm wrong because I, I really believe this. See, there are people in the first century world that passionately adhered to what Paul is saying is wrong and will lead you to be spiritually captive. And Paul is reminding us that within our culture, everything is not awesome. And everything is not true just because someone passionately believes it's true. You see, you have people that say, I really, really believe that the boat of Christianity will lead to heaven. But you know something? I really passionately believe that the boat of this other religion will lead to heaven too. And this boat will lead over here. And you've got your boat and I've got my boat. And I really believe that. Well, just because you passionately believe that doesn't then make it the authentic, uh, authenticator of truth in our culture. There are those that passionately believe that if I choose my gender, then it has to be true because I passionately believe this or I can passionately choose my sexual preference and if I passionately believe in it, then it must be true. And what Paul is saying in this passage is there are things that are true and there are things that are not true and your passionate belief in it then doesn't make it true. When I was a pastor years ago, I had a friend of mine that came into my office. We spent a good bit of time together. And he said, David, I'm not happy in my marriage. And I met somebody, and she really makes me happy. And I'm going to leave my family because God wants me to be happy. Now, he passionately believed that. But he was passionately wrong about his belief. You see, in our culture, I had to tell him as a friend, as someone who loved him and not standing over him, but I had to ultimately remind him, God is not concerned about your happiness as much as he's concerned about your holiness. And all throughout culture and all throughout our world, we can look back and we can recognize that passionate adherence to a cause that it can leave us as a culture flying head first over the handlebars, crashed on the trail because we ignored the signs. Let me tell you some people that were passionate about what they believed in. Hitler was immensely passionate. But I think we all can agree he, he was passionately wrong. David Koresh was immensely passionate. But I think we can all agree that in Waco, he, he was passionately wrong. And do not be deluded to think that your passion for what you believe in then equates to truth. You see, Paul's role is to say, there are some wrong turns. 
There are some steep places that you need to be aware of. There are some curves in the trail of life. My role, my commission as a pastor is to, is to point these out as God's word points them out to you. But what is the antidote to it? It is to drink deeply from Christ Jesus. And as we hear the siren songs of the world bidding us, believe in this, trust in this, ultimately we are hydrated and we are strong in Christ. Let me take you back to those trails. Those trails that I run on and I would see those uh, different warning signs all throughout them. In July, in Mississippi, there is a 50K or a 50 mile run that you can do in the heat of those trails. Some of these runners, <clears throat> well, they're just insane is what it amounts to. I mean, that's a, there's no other way to describe that. They're passionate, but passionately wrong. So one of the things that happens is, <laughs> one of the things that happens is, is that you will start out in a run, and you can see this, and there are 75-mile runs or 100-mile runs, and you will hydrate throughout the run. But what can happen is you can get in a little groove and you can forget to drink regularly and consistently. And what happens over time is the longer you're out on a course, the longer you're out in the elements, and when you become dehydrated, you begin to hallucinate. So there are people on any trail run that over time will run off of the course or they'll imagine their animals that are coming upon them. They will imagine things upon them because they're hallucinating. Why? Because they are not physically hydrated. In the trail of the Christian life, if you are spiritually dehydrated, you will passionately see things that aren't really real. On the trail of the Christian life, if you are spiritually dehydrated, you will begin to spiritually hallucinate and what is not true and what is not correct then becomes truth and what is correct in your life. And so I'm here to remind you to drink deeply, to drink consistently, to drink of Christ because he and only him through his word and through prayer is what hydrates us and allows us to run without faint, without growing weary upon the trail of the Christian life. And as fathers, and as mothers, and as grandparents, as students, as children, at every season of life, as we're running that trail, there are others that need to see us running strong. And it's only when you drink of that water that will always quench your spiritual thirst. It's only when you drink of him and him alone that you'll be able to run the race that Christ has called you to run. Dawson, drink deeply this week of Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word and the way that it speaks to our hearts. We recognize that within our world, there are warning signs that we need to see. As Paul was warning that first century church to beware, so we are called to beware. But we are empowered through the power of your word to be reminded that you call us to drink deeply of you. That the only thing that can quench our thirst is you through your word, you through prayer. May we this week look into our hearts. There are some of us that are running this race 
without consistently drinking of you. And we're living under a reality that is not true. May this week be a week that we drink deeply the unquenchable gift of Christ Jesus. Lord, thank you so much for your word that speaks to our hearts. May today be a day that we commit anew and afresh to follow you, to love you, to be about the business that you've called us to. It's in your name we pray, amen and amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand.